to grab you one and uh, go to the book of Habakkuk. You can uh, find that in your Bible. Look in the table of contents if it's hard to find. It is a small, teeny book, um, a minor prophet. Doesn't mean that it's not a good book. It just means it's small in size. Hey, um, <clears throat> if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, and uh, I'm part of the pastoral team here, and just want to welcome you and, and thank you for being here. There are so many people every single week that are coming to the church that are new and uh, that are getting plugged in. We've got people moving from the Bay Area. We've got people who are finding out what Christianity is all about, and uh, we just love what God's doing. So if that is you, a couple ways that we'd love to connect with you. One is either on our webpage, spctrucky.com. There's a place on there to sign up for our newsletter. It tells you everything we're doing. Um, I'm con- constantly, when I'm up here on Sundays, because I, my mindset is I want to get into the Word as quickly as possible, uh, I miss a lot of different announcements and different things. So uh, make sure you're either getting that newsletter by signing up on the webpage or visiting the webpage on a, a frequent basis. There's a box on there that says newsletter. All the upcoming info is on there. Or uh, what you can do is we still have the old school way of signing up in your bulletin this morning. There's a little perforated uh, piece of paper. You can fill that out. Put it in the Dropbox, uh, the Dropbox, um, that's, that's the digital way to do it. You know what Dropbox is? <laughs> you can put it in the offering box, which we never talk about, but the, there's an offering box in the back. You put it in there, or give it to the info booth out to my right, your left, and uh, you, they'll give you a free gift uh, along with that. So make sure uh, you get plugged in there. A couple things I want to make you aware of. Um, let me go back uh, to this, sorry. Uh, junior high and senior high camp are starting up in summer, so signups are live for that if you know a junior high student or a senior high student uh, that wants to get plugged into that. If you have a, a, a child that's entering into junior high, <clears throat> they can start coming this June. So if that's you, uh, let your child know, hey, you want to check it out? And, and that junior high age, I did youth ministry for a long time, so I get it that junior high age, that's a difficult transition between uh, eighth and the ninth grade. And a lot of times students feel pretty awkward trying to come to a new environment. And so what I tell parents is, uh, and what I have told them uh, when I was uh, doing youth ministry, just keep Uh, having them come, and eventually, especially if they go to a camp, uh, they're going to get plugged in. They're going to find good Christian friends. They're going to start love coming, uh, and uh, it'll be be awesome. So sign up for that. And then um, Courtney's going to come up, and she's going to share a little bit of opportunity to serve for prom this year since the high school's not doing it, and the church is. So would you guys welcome Courtney as uh, she shares with you the need. Good morning. My name is Courtney, and I work with the youth group here at Sierra Bible. And like Jesse said, we are going to be doing a prom this year. And so this meeting or this announcement is for both ladies and men, but separate. So if you're a lady, say hey. hey. Mm, a little more sass. Hey. hey. So if you are going to prom this year, um, this Wednesday at youth group. I'm going to have something special, which this part is for the women in the church who are not going to prom, but who in the back of their closet have their old prom dresses. I'm calling out to those old prom dresses from the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s that if you have a prom dress in your closet that you would be willing to let a high schooler borrow, 
Will you bring that prom dress next week? I'm going to be at the um, info booth. I'm going to be collecting them, putting your name and your numbers on them. And then I'm going to bring them on Wednesday to youth group and let the girls try them on. And if they want to borrow it and take it to prom, then they can. And then they'll give it back and I will return it to you. Um, but your prom dresses have been looking for a night out. They haven't been out since 1982. Let them free and bring them to me next week. Now, if you're a dude, you can say, hey. For those of you who are men, I am asking a different favor of you. The next day, so really quickly, prom is May 14th. It's a Friday night. The next day, May 15th, I'm going to be here putting the church back together. And all of these wonderful chairs that you're sitting on are going to be in Ray Hall. And so right now, there's just me and Ben Lynn who will be bringing them all back. So if you are free on May 15th at 10 a.m., would you please come to the church and help us move all of these chairs back after being able to bless the kids with the prom? Um, And at the back by the doors on the right-hand side, there's a needs board, and it has all the information there if you forgot everything that I just said. But please come and help out. And again, ladies, bring your dresses. All right, thank you. Um, and then uh, June, first weekend of June, I think it's June 2nd, I can't remember, we're moving outside, uh, and so get ready for that, one service, 10 a.m. Uh, for the most part, um, uh, this, this entails up until then, and, and obviously when we go outside at 10 and both services come together, uh, we are, we've partnered with some businesses across the street, as well as behind me, you can see that roundabout there. Um, that there's some parking over there, about 30 spots over there with a trail you can walk on uh, over. So we're obviously asking you to be flexible when we go outside. We're anticipating um, between our children's ministry and all of you in here, anywhere on the low end, and this is seriously the low end, 500 people, and we could even balloon to seven to 800 people during the summer. Uh, and so we're going to be kind of playing it by ear and seeing what, what God does, uh, but a pretty incredible thing. Uh, to be a part of. So please uh, mark your calendar for that. And then I'm going to ask two fine gentlemen to come on up here. Mike Harrison, would you come stand up right up here? And uh, uh, um, uh, Gabe Dero, could you come up too? I always want to call you Caleb. Oh, he's related to Caleb. Caleb's our youth pastor. So just stand right up here. The, the camera only, it's for short people, and so you got to stand on Um. <laughs> So we have a, uh, a group of guys that are part of our leadership. We call them our deacons, and we get that word from the Bible, and it just basically means like ultimate servant, if you will. And our deacons really help uh, do a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that no one ever sees. In addition to that, they oversee a fund. If you look on your offering envelope, you'll see a fund on there that says Deacons Fund. And that fund literally is set aside uh, for these guys to kind of help the community with any, any benevolence. Uh, we've helped people who've needed to get by with rent. We've helped with food. We've helped with homelessness. Uh, in fact, these guys just helped a guy who was living up in the woods, pretty unhealthy, get him out of the woods and move him out of the woods into a better place. Uh, those are the kind of things these guys do. And because they are leaders within the church, we bring them before you, uh, the church, and say, hey, listen, we, we'd like to officially make these guys part of the team. They've been interning for, for a period of time now. And uh, before we do that, we believe it's important for you to know who is part of the family here as our leaders, but also to hold them accountable to making sure they're walking by faith. And if for some reason they're not adhering to the qualifications that are in Timothy and Titus, 
we would encourage you to talk to them one-on-one first. And if you can resolve it, great. So this is your opportunity to pull a guy off to the side and say, you know what I don't like about you, sir. <laughs> and if you resolve it, great. And if not, then we bring it to the leadership and, and we revisit that. So uh, these are them. I want to present them for you. Uh, encourage them, love on them, and uh, challenge them where, where they need it. And then in a couple weeks' time, we'll bring them before you, uh, hopefully, and be able to officially install them as official deacons at Sierra Bible Church. So this is Mike, and this is not Caleb. It's Gabe. All right? God bless. Thank you. Go for it. Um, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, and I'm going to tell you the title of the message this morning is the faithful, the faithful are not prideful. We talked about faith last week, and, and we're going to talk more about the, the idea of pride. Now, uh, I had to do this in the first service, and I'm going to do it in the second service as well, and so for some of you, what I'm about to say may go right over your head, and that's okay. Uh, for some of you, it'll be exactly what you needed to hear, and, and for all of us, I think it'll be somewhat educational. Uh, last Sunday, I, um, especially in the first service, I deviated from my notes in the first service, like really, like I deviated. And, um, and then after the first service, I had to stop in the middle of between services and figure out what it was that I was going to share with you. And so I was kind of just in a weird place, to be honest with you. And, and, um, and here's how God works, right? I, he, here's what I want to say. I, um, I think, I, first of all, I want to say forgive me for where I've miscommunicated certain things. And what I mean by that is this, is that I've, I've tried to, I've attempted to teach God's word and elevate the gospel above all else. And, and, and there have been times where I've not done that. And the last few weeks in particular, and for some of you, like I said, you maybe haven't even noticed, I've focused on a few what I would call my own maybe hobby horses, cultural things that I just have, don't, need to, I don't need to focus on. I don't need to even mention them. I don't need to talk about them because you know what they are. I just need to elevate the goodness of Jesus Christ and, and how good his word is. And so where I've missed the mark and where I've lacked empathy in communicating with individuals who don't agree with us, and there are people in our church, or there are people who, who've maybe left our church, there are people who won't come to our church that don't agree with this, some of the stances that we've taken, uh, and that's okay. I'm okay with people disagreeing with us, but I'm not okay if I've done that and disagreed in that in a way that wasn't loving, and I feel like I've missed that a little bit in a few weeks. I've, I've missed some empathy, and so before you, again, this is how God works, right? I, I kind of, to a certain degree, was... Like Just like Habakkuk is sitting in his tower in chapter 2, I'm waiting for you to answer, Lord. You know, I've kind of had that mentality of like, this is who we are. If you don't like it, then we don't care. There's been a little bit of that in me. And, um, and, and then the Lord humbled me through some conversations uh, and, and brought me low. And, and the message is on humility this week. And so I'm, I get the opportunity. <laughs> I get the blessing of practicing hopefully some humility before you. Uh, to just ask for your forgiveness where I've missed it. And that does a couple things. One, it takes the emphasis off of me, back on Jesus. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to be more like Jesus in my own personal walk. And it gives you the reassurance um, that your leaders are willing to course correct where needed so that they can elevate the goodness of Jesus and not look to man, but, but look uh, to the Lord. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> I am... Um, 
I said something a while back about feeling too comfortable in the pulpit, and I had felt it for a little while and didn't, really didn't process it well. And, and thankfully, I've got great leaders and great people around me that have helped me with that stuff. John Knox, the great reformer, used to go to the pulpit before every sermon weeping in fear uh, because John Knox knew, and, and I'm aware of this as well, and so are other teachers, that we bear the responsibility of helping shape and form your idea, your ide- ideology or theology of who God is. Uh, and I don't ever want to take that for granted, and I don't want to misrepresent the Lord. Uh, and so thank you for being gracious with me, as I hope to continue to be gracious with our church and our community, and we continue to progress forward to be continually reformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So thank you for hearing me out. Um, with that said, would you humbly, if you're able to this morning, could you stand with me if you're willing and able? And, and uh, we want to read because we honor God's Word, and, and we get to talk about this idea of pride and arrogance and, and the righteous and living by faith. And really, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming at doing this week what I intended to do last week. Chapter 2, verse, let's start in verse 1. I'll make my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And I'll look to see what he, that is the Lord, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And then the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he, may, he, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So Lord, strengthen that faith this morning. Help us be like you, in Jesus' name the church said. Uh, please, if you can be seated, would you do so? Um, so the context of the book, if you're not familiar, if you're visiting this morning as we've been walking through this book, is that um, this prophet, who we know as Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk, it's funny because all these weeks in, I still have people coming up and saying, you know this is how you say it, right? And I go, hey, do you remember message number one? Were you here for that? And I said, Yeah. I go, no, you obviously weren't listening because I explained to you that this is an old Assyrian name we really don't know how to pronounce. So I kind of just for fun, just to bother people in part, <laughs> uh, and also, also just because I like fluidity, I've been, I've been interchanging it as I've been pronouncing it. And so some of you are probably still like, well, how do you say it? I don't know. Just, just say it. But here, here we are. This prophet uh, has seen the people of God go from a place of great prosperity They were worshiping Yahweh. They had their temple. They had their land. They had all the things in which they should have. The surrounding nations begin to have influence on them. They begin to turn their backs on God because they've allowed the culture to dictate who they are rather than allowing Yahweh to dictate who they are. So culture has just basically absorbed them. And these men of God, these people of God, which is the Jewish nation, the Israelites, have turned their back on the Lord. And God is using the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires, these, these massive empires, which it says in verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. But speaking of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and to a degree, the Israelites as well, they've become puffed up. And so Habakkuk is praying out to God, and he's saying, God, like, this is a troubling time. This is a situation I'm not happy with. I don't fully understand why there's basically, in essence, he's saying, I don't understand why there's pain and suffering in the world. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
And God answers him, and the answer in which he gives, first of all, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. So that was the attempt last week is to try to cover this idea of faith. If you remember last week in regards to faith, we, we discovered and realized that we're all naturally creatures of faith. To be a human is to live by faith. You don't have an option to live by faith or not to live by faith. We actually said that one really can't function in the world or live in a world. One really can't operate within a world in a healthy way without living by faith. Right? And we discovered that by saying when you walked into the room, nobody inspected their seat. I mean, imagine if everywhere you went before you sat down, you inspected to make sure the seat was built according to code. Nobody got in their car this morning, I don't think, and looked at the brake line to make sure that it was intact. But by faith, you lived uh, in a way that you got in the car, and to not live any other way would be to be living a life of anxiety. So we're creatures by faith. The question is, do we put our faith in Christ or do we put it in something else? We also should be discovering within the reality of faith that it's a gift. It's, it's been given to us by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, and that there's a need for us to live by faith with this gift. Now, now, he says the righteous shall live by faith, so let's just talk about the righteousness for a moment here. The righteous are those who've been made right with God in particular. It's not only to be cleansed from your sin, it is that, but it's to be made right and be put right, to be made right in a right relationship with Jesus Christ within community. Now, one of the things we do every year, we're delaying on it, we're going to launch it here really soon. Some of you might be familiar with it, and some of you may not be familiar with it. But every year we release basically a, a little poster or a postcard or something to just communicate to you all of the things that we've accomplished as a congregation, as a church in the past year. And so we've really been wrestling, Derek and I and the staff, Derek does a lot of our visual stuff, We've been wrestling with what do we want to put on what we accomplished in 2020, right? Because 2020 was a unique year for the church and a unique year for, for you and I. And so the statistics and things are out of the norm, right? One of the things that's really cool on that, though, like, like on that list is during uh, 2020, we had our best year of generosity in the church in the history of the church ever. That's a pretty incredible, beautiful thing. Yeah. You're patting yourself on the back a little bit. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> on there, uh, Courtney, who was just up here, we asked her to write just a quick little paragraph, quick little blurb on the overarching narrative of what 2020 was. And in there, because uh, I got to just see it this week, in the paragraph, it, it says in there that more than ever in 2020, we, the church, realized its desperate need for community. Right? That community is essential. Like, that's not something that you can just get rid of. Like, we're made, and you've heard me say this before, we're, we're made in the image of God, and the image of God at its foundation is Trinitarian. I don't even know if that's a word, but let's pretend it is. It's that God in his nature is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. And that from the beginning, or from really for always, forever, from history past, where there is no beginning because there is no beginning with God and there is no end, that the Father and the Son are in constant, beautiful submission and community to one another. And so being made in that image, we're desperate for community. And part of what is happening in this particular section is as God is answering back to Habakkuk about why the Babylonian Empire is falling down on culture, why the culture itself is falling apart, why, why are people turning from God He's letting us know in verse 4, the crux of the issue is that his soul is puffed up and he's proud. 
He's arrogant. The people of Israel have become arrogant. The Babylonian Empire was arrogant. The Assyrian Empire was arrogant. James chapter 3, verse 17, uh, by foundation of wisdom. So we're going to talk about what it means to be full of pride, and we're going to talk about what it means to be filled as the righteous with humility, because humility is, is the opposite of being proud and arrogant. And uh, it says here in verse 317, but wisdom from above, the kind of wisdom that comes from God, the kind, this kind is peaceable and gentle. So first of all, we recognize the way to wisdom the only way to become a wise person, and if you remember by definition of wisdom, the, def- the definition of wisdom is to live a life that is poetic, to live a life that, that looks beautiful, to live a life that is filled with ups and downs for sure, difficulties and pain for sure, but it's poetic because it's, it's lived according to God, and your story's been wrapped inside the story of God. That's what wisdom is. And the only way to wisdom is to first admit you're a fool. That's what Proverbs says. It says if, you, if you're going to be wise, you've got to admit that you're a fool. And the only way to humility is to admit that you're prideful and that you're arrogant, that you're filled with self. I want you to see what he says here in verse uh, 317 of James. Wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle. And then, and then here's the word I really want to focus on, open to reason. Some of your translations, if you have a different translation, might say willing to yield. Then it goes on and says it's filled with good fruits, it's impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. Remember, that's in the text. The righteous shall live by faith. A harvest of right living, a harvest of goodness, right? To be made by God is sown by peace for those who make peace. But that open to reason literally means that when somebody contradicts you, you're willing to yield, right? So this week, I had that opportunity, right? Uh, I, I, I felt a certain way uh, through conversation. Something helped course correct my heart, and I was willing to yield, I was willing to be teachable. What essentially God is telling Habakkuk, the issue within, within Israel, one of the main issues of what, what he's answering, why their community is falling apart, is because of arrogance. The number one way to ruin a healthy community is to be a community that is filled with self-pleasing, to be your own, to own thyself, to live life for you. It utterly destroys community. One of the things the Bible warns about within congregational living, right? By congregational living, I mean by communal Christian living. That's what we're doing. We're trying to live life together, not just on Sundays through the week, to be strengthened the week in our faith, like communal living. One of the things the New Testament says ruins, utterly ruins community within the church is gossip. And so there's all kinds of places inside of the, the, the Bible that say, don't gossip, don't talk about other people, don't slander, don't be prideful in this way. And the reason is this. If you notice with gossip, the reason we gossip, the whole reason we gossip is this, is we, we find somebody we like and we want to build a common bond. And so we gossip about somebody else and belittle them and make them feel lower to help build a connection with one another. Do you agree he's short? I agree he's short. Now, that's not gossip. That's true. That's true. But if we used another example of, well, that person always does this or that person always does that, we're literally pushing someone else down to make ourselves feel better and to make a connection. That utterly destroys, utterly destroys community. And it destroys the people of God, the self-focused arrogance. So I think it's important for us to be aware of our limitations and to be aware of where we may have gone awry. One pastor says in regards to the proud that he is unaware of how limited he is 
So he is his own answer. He can solve it. He can do it. He can get it done. He has no need to submit to God, no need to lower himself under the hand of God, and he'll take care of it and get it done. Right? The proud, the proud are, are normally, they're, they're kind of elevated in our culture. We look at them as like, hey, this, this is a person we should look to. How many of you have ever seen um, Shark Tank? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. Okay. How many? How many of you know Mr. Wonderful? Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. He he's a business guy. He's made lots of money. Nobody loves Mr. Wonderful quite like Mr. Wonderful loves Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, me being a football guy, some of you might remember a guy by the name of Terrell Owens. He called him T.O. And Terrell Owens used to say, "T.O. loves himself some T.O." Right. That is to be proud and arrogant. And there's two types of proud and arrogant people. Right. W- one type is the Pharisee type, right? The religious type. There are religious, proud, arrogant people, right? They're puffed up because they do all the right things. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible and I do devotions. I listen to podcasts. I do all of these things. I'm striving for God. How come you can't do it? I mean, I'm doing it, and if I can do it, you can do it. Right? That's the proud, arrogant, religious, pharisaical type. The other type is the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, well, forget God. I don't need God. I don't need my father. I just want my father's stuff because I know what's best for my life. No one needs to tell me how, uh, how I should live. No one needs to tell me what drugs I can use, how much alcohol I can drink, whether I should lust or not lust, what kind of TV programs I should watch, what kind of radio programs I should listen to, right? I'm doing, doing it my own way. They're both full of pride. Now, I have a tendency as a broken person, which I am. I'm a broken, flawed person I am in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ just as much as you. And one of the things I absolutely do not like about being a pastor is the expectation of people that I am going to be better than I really am. And I'm not. I'm just not. And so what happens for me is when I do a good job, I have a tendency, I have a tendency to think I'm doing a good job. Right? When things are going well, it's a good day. Today's a Monday. I don't care. It's a good day. I did a good job. I'm awesome. Look at me. Yeah. Right? And then my whole day is better because I performed. Right? I performed. I did well. People like me. They laughed at some of my jokes. A couple people got teary. Some people said that last week. You had us all crying. Thank you for that. Oh, I did a good job. I did a good job. Right? And then, and then when you're taken down a notch, and then all of a sudden, you're in the pit of despair. I did a poor job. Did a poor job. There's no dancing. Just, oh. right? Low is me. I messed up. And, 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 and then my, my Monday, Mondays are always bad. Mondays are horrible. I hate Mondays. Right? Me and Garfield, we get along. Where's my lasagna? Where's my cheese? Monday's no good. You know, the issue with both of those is both of those are completely self-centered, self-oriented, and they're both just as prideful because both are revolving all around the self. To be puffed up and do well in your performance you know, I've done well, look at what I've done. And then to be low with the lack of your performance is all prideful. And what God tells us in regards to the proud time and time again is there's a cosmic opposition against the proud. A cosmic opposition. And what I mean by that is that if, if you and I are proud people and, and recognize that our whole culture is all about the individual. I mean, it's built into our whole constitution for crying out loud. Now, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but, but just because you're an American doesn't make you the greatest nation in the history of the world. The greatest nation in the history of the world are the people who have been called by God's name who have no nation other than the citizenship of heaven in which they belong. 
right? That, that's it. And so when we say, hey, you know, we're the, only, we're the only nation in all of the world that built into our constitution literally says we have the right to pursue happiness. Based upon what? For your own self, your own self-worth. The United States has built inside of its people, and it's not healthy, a individualistic approach to life. In fact, I would go as far as to say if you live here in this area, you have probably in many ways accidentally bought into the individual mentality. What's, how many of you have ever said, well, this is, how many of you ever said this to you as a Christian? I'm glad that's good for you. And I'm really glad that that's working out for you. But I don't need that. I mean, if you're a skier or a snowboarder, your, your whole mentality towards life is individualistic. Right? I got to go get the pow. I got to get those lines before anybody else. Right? To, to be a trucky local resident is to be proud and arrogant. Seriously. How dare, how dare anybody else move here from the Bay Area? Don't they know this is my mountain? Right? No, it isn't. <laughs> it doesn't belong to you. Right? You think Jesus is up there saying, you know, I hope so-and-so gets that line today, so-and-so gets that particular whatever. It may. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying God's beautiful creation. But there's something wrong when we refuse to share God's beauty and goodness and splendor with other people, especially if those people are not, are not like us. And so there is this cosmic opposition. God literally says time and time again in Scripture, whether it's First uh, Peter or several places in Proverbs, that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. There's a cosmic opposition. God is against you if you are self-centered. So I think we need to understand what being proud is. First of all, the proud always value being proud. They don't see it as a, a source of weakness. They don't see it as a problem, right? They'll use words in a healthy way like, well, I just have, I'm not proud. I just have good self-esteem. I'm not proud. I just have a lot of self-respect, right? The proud, in addition to being aware of their proudness, that they, they enjoy being proud, they're okay with being proud, they're continually looking down on others and they're using others. In fact, proud people are always more aware of others' faults than their own faults. Proud people are always willing to point out someone else's snub, but they're not really willing to admit their own snubs. Proud people are always focusing on the faults of other people. Proverbs 11 uh, verse 12 says, whoever belittles his neighbor, that's back to the idea of gossip, lacks sense. Then it goes on and says, but a man of understanding, that's a wise man, he remains silent. Right, one of my favorite lines to my kids, Proverbs, even a fool is considered wise when he shuts his mouth. They still don't get it, and I don't think I do either. Um, in addition to that, the proud have a tendency to make themselves the center of their own universe. They, in essence, become their own practical God. Some of you are familiar because we've used this verse in the last year probably several different times, in part because of the context of which we're living in. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, it says, In the end, people will be lovers of self. They'll love themselves above all things. Proud people, they love to love themselves, looking out for their own interests. And then the proud are always constantly bringing attention to themselves. 
constantly bringing attention to themselves. I had a buddy. Um, he's a Christian now, but I remember when he first got saved, and uh, he introduced himself, and he said, um, hey, my name's Tom, and uh, he was a really successful guy, and he said, and uh, what I like to do is when we first meet, I like to talk about me, and I'll let you know about myself, and then when I'm tired about, uh, from talking about me, uh, then I want to invite you to talk about me, and, uh, and then when you're done, then the conversation's over. That was his mentality. He'd love to talk about himself, love to talk. He was constantly drawing attention to himself. I like what Tim Keller says about it. Body parts don't draw attention to themselves unless there's something wrong. Ego draws attention to itself because our identity and self-worth are broken. Right? Some of us are broken and, and we're filled with anxiety and all kinds of different ailments, whatever those ailments may be. Maybe your relationships aren't working, whatever that might be. It doesn't matter what it is, but a lot of it can be rooted to the reality that you've drawn so much attention to yourself and that the world, you've literally made your world revolve around you, right? There are two types of people in the world, those who want to give themselves to others and those who use others for themselves. And this is literally what the, the empires were doing around the, the Jewish people. They were literally grabbing anything they could to use for themselves. This will be mine. Remember Brad Beers a few weeks ago, they, they, they gather in their nets everything that they can. This will be mine. This world will be mine. I will use it for my purposes. I don't need to think about how that's going to impact another culture or another group of people or, or whoever it may be as long as I get what I want when I want it, right? Life is not Burger King. You can't have it your way all the time. You're not intended to live that way. Prideful people long for attention. They become jealous and critical of other people's successes. They lie and stretch the truth to be seen in a better light. They have a hard time admitting they're wrong. They like to die on every hill. They like to win every battle, and in competition, they want to win every game. They have a tendency to have a ton of conflict. They cut in line at the store or the freeway because they're more important than everyone else. They get upset when people don't acknowledge their achievements. And the proud are full of their boasting and their good deeds. They want to let everyone know how great they are. And ultimately, Proverbs tells us that being proud leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. One's pride, Proverbs 29, 23 reads, will bring him low, but the one lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And then in contrast to that, Jesus says those who are poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. So there's an opposition to the proud. That if you're full of yourself, if you're, you're not necessarily willing to listen, not willing to yield, you think you're always right, you think you're always correct, you're not listening to the other side of the story, you're not willing to have a conversation. Uh, it was really neat. I saw, I wish I would have brought my phone up here with me, but someone on the, the uh, YouTube feed was posting different things about different quotes from the proud and the humble on their Facebook feed. And one, he had a couple different great quotes, and one of them was along the lines of those who, those who argue always want to learn who's right, and those who have conversations want to find out what is right. right. There's a way to have a conversation where you win the argument, but you lose the person. And as you win that argument, that relationship disintegrates because you were right. Anybody who's been married knows if you're fighting to be right all the time, your marriage is not going to be a blast right? I mean, seriously, the beauty to marriage is to admit you're wrong and love your spouse even if you truly believe you're right. 
That's not being honest. No, no, no. There's enough sin in me to find something at fault. Right? I, I like what Rick Warren said. Rick Warren said something along the lines one time of, you know, he's a large megachurch pastor. Some people love him. Some people hate him. That's not why I'm quoting him. I'm just quoting him because this particular thing he said was true. He said, if you've got 10,000 people who follow you, 10% of those people are going to hate you. So if you've got 100 people who follow you, at least 10 of them aren't going to like you. You're going to have 10 critics. You know, 200 people, 20 people, so on and so forth. The bigger group of people you have, the bigger criticism you have. And he said that he learned along the way in leadership that the best way to deal with criticism was to listen to the criticism, to listen to the complaint, and even if 98% of it was wrong, to thank him for the comments, take the 2%, take it back to your office, wrestle with the 2%, and grow in that 2%, and let the other 98% go. Right? So there are people that, that do email me from time to time, and they don't agree with what we're doing. And I want to approach it in such a way, and I think you should as well, what can I learn from this and not just necessarily defend myself and defend my rights and defend what needs to be done well, but rather, okay, you're right somewhere along here. And my job as a dutiful Christian is to sit down with the Lord and figure out what those things are. Because proud people never admit their mistakes. Right? They never say sorry. They never ask for forgiveness. And being proud distorts the entire lens of your life. You know what I'm talking about? Let me read you this passage from Proverbs 21, verse 4, and break it down for you. Haughty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp of the wicked. You follow the, a proud heart and haughty eyes, being arrogant and prideful, being filled with self, is the lamp of the wicked. You know what he's saying? He said, this is the only way, I get, and some of you are going to relate to this, and some of you aren't, and so I'll try to use maybe two different analogies. Do, if you're on Instagram, do you know Instagram has um, filters that will make you look better than you really do? Some of you don't know, and you're not saying anything. Some of you do know, and that's why you're not saying anything. <laughs> now, there are literally, like, if you go through on Instagram, it's incredible. Even on other, other editing apps, within minutes, someone can make themselves look far better than they really do, far thinner than they really do, right? They do it's true. You'll be blown away. In fact, if you're a male and you have a tendency to be on social media and lust, you need to know what you're looking at is not reality, like 99.99% of the time, which I think is the same survival rate for COVID. I didn't mean to say that, but... So, shush. That's the... No, 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 no. That's the opposite of what I want. It's the opposite of what I said earlier. I want empathy. I just saw... I can't help myself. Sarcastic. I need to be rebuked and smacked. So, the idea of, and I'm only proving my point, that when, when you are full of pride, you can't help but see your whole world through the lens of being proud. In fact, if you tell somebody they're proud, they'll never admit it. They'll never admit it. Let me just ask the question for you to do one-on-one -on -one with yourself. Are you a prideful person? Because if your answer is anything other than yes then you've not understood humility in any way whatsoever. I mean, if you're constantly belittling, constantly dissecting, can I just share one of these things that's happening in Christendom right now? Pastors are being nitpicked all over the place. And I'm not saying that for my benefit. Like, I, I, my first negative email in months was last week. Okay, so I'm not complaining. You guys have been amazing. You've been supportive. That's why I don't need to say things like, what I just said about COVID, because you get it. I don't need to convince you. You're here. I don't need to convince anybody else. I need to elevate who Jesus is. 
right? And, and, and so the reality is, is that, that if you point those things out to somebody, they're just not going to get it. They're just not going to see it. Because the lens and the filter in which they view the world is filled with pride. The only way out of that is to say, I am a proud person. Now teach me. Right now, and this is 100% true, you can look it up for yourself. The, the next pandemic amongst the church will be pastors exiting the ministry. 100%. I already know several who have either quit or are considering, or considering quitting. And the reason is because they can't, they don't know how to deal with the divide in the political spectrum between the politics and, and all of the other things that, that we're, are dividing us. We are a nation that is completely full of polarization. And pastors are finding themselves and going, well, what do I do? I can't make anybody happy. And the only way towards that particular happiness is to go back to that place of humility. God, teach me. You know, practically, not only does it view, change the way you view life, it hardens the mind, it defiles you, it hinders you from seeking God, it hinders, hinders you from improving, it causes you to be angry and wrathful. Now, now, all that to be said, the whole foundation, the whole basis of all sin, all racism, all anger, all strife, all divorce, all of it, all of it boils down to pride and pride alone. All of it. Man, it, you could say all sin is wrapped up within the ego. I mean, isn't that the beginning of Genesis chapter 1? I mean, first of all, if you go back and you say, how did Satan fall? Satan fell because he stood up before God and said, I will be like the Most High. I will be God. I don't need a ruler. I don't need someone governing my life. I don't need to submit. God forbid I submit, especially in our culture. God forbid anyone ever tell me to submit under somebody. I mean, one of the hardest passages for a pastor to preach in our American culture is Ephesians 5, where it tells wives to submit to their husbands as if that's some kind of ugly thing. I mean, in our culture, we do not, we do not value humility in any way whatsoever. We want the strong, independent, rugged spirit, and that rugged spiritedness is the reason for all of our issues. That's how Satan fell. It's also how Adam and Eve fell. Well, I want to know the knowledge of good and evil like God. I will participate in eating the apple. Now, James chapter 3 actually tells us exactly this. Who is wise and understanding among you? There's wisdom again. Righteousness being filled with wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in what? The meekness, humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, there's the ego, in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You said, don't lie about it, admit it. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy, and here it is again, selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I mean, James is essentially telling us what I just stated. If, if you're filled with self, if you're, if you're after not that which is meek, but that which is ambitious inside of your hearts, then there is going to be disorder in every vile practice that exists. All of our sexual sin, all the disorder in the world, all the wars that you could look at in the history of the world, all of them come down to humanity's pride and arrogance. So you go out. How do I solve it? 
Remember, verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. This is chapter 2 of Habakkuk. It's not upright in anything, but the righteous shall live by faith. Those who are righteous, as I stated before, those who are righteous are made right with God, to be put right with God. So let's talk in part what that looks like, especially in the New Testament, and especially in light of, of the contrast of, of humility, that if, if, and we believe this to be true, that pride and arrogance destroy community, how do we build healthy community? How do we create a nation of people that, that builds towards a holistic point of health where we thrive, humanity thrives, our souls thrive? Like imagine if not only your face smiled, but your soul smiled as well. Right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about bringing back humanity into humanhood. What does it look like to be the creature of God? What does it look like to have a nation and a group of people that are, are just rejoicing and they're happy and they're made right, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of hardship? And it ultimately comes down to this humility and righteousness that we see in Jesus. If you would, I give you a moment to go there. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So what I do here is I'm giving you time to turn there because I want you to see it, and then after you do all that work to find it, I'll put it on the screen for you. So, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot in here. The first one, when we think of humility, we, it, it's really the, the, the first takeaway, the first practical part of becoming humble and building towards uh, humility is to empty yourself of the self. There's a lot of places in the New Testament that kind of talk about this. One of them is a, a demon-possessed man who is emptied, basically says his heart is emptied, kind of uses this analogy of an empty house. And it's empty, and because it's not filled back up with a stronger man or someone to defend the house, many of the demons come back, fill the house with tenfold or whatever it may be, and then the house is even more of a wreck than it was before. So when we think of emptying the self, what emptying the self is towards humility is emptying the self of self and then filling the self with Christ. There's no emptying without the filling. Right? The human soul must be vacated. It, it, it must, uh, I'm sorry, another way to say it, it, it shall be occupied. That, that it can't just be empty. If you ever hear these people say, if you just empty yourself, that's the worst thing that you can do. An empty self is an open house for every devil, every thought, 
every, every demonic teaching there is out there, if you just empty the self, you allow the self to be influenced by the culture and the world and every other nuance, every other weird truth, every other little Facebook, uh, you know, conspiracy theory out there, that's what happens with an empty self. So the self has to be filled with Christ. And the way we do that is to continually look to the cross. I mean, every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask you guys, just because this is a practice for myself too, just, just imagine if you were God and you created humanity. Are okay, you with me? Get into your imagination. Some of you are imaginary people. You're God. You've created humanity. Humanity's a mess. You want to introduce yourself to mankind. But I, I remember doing this as a kid. If I was God, how would I introduce myself to mankind? Did any of you ever read The Indian in the Cupboard? Does anyone remember that book? Incredible book. I just remember this young boy. He played with these little teeny figurines that came alive. You know, he was kind of like God. Some of you remember the book, right? He's the master of these, the cowboy and the Indian, and just an incredible story. Uh, if you're 15 years old, you should read it. If you're older, then stick with something different, but it's a great book. And uh, I think if I introduced myself... I am pretty sure if I came to humanity to introduce myself to humanity, I, I'm, coming, I'm coming with a sword in one hand. I'm definitely going to have wings, right? I mean, I'm going I'm to show you. And I'm, I'm going to be like in flaming fire. I'm going to look like the human torch. I'm consumed, but I'm not burnt, right? I'm going to go like the revelation path, sword in the mouth kind of deal, riding a white horse, a pale white horse, coming to judge the world. And I, was, I am God. Or I'd either, I'd either look like that, or I'd look like the Incredible Hulk, but not so green. That's how I'm introducing myself to mankind. And I mean the smart Hulk. I don't mean like, God smash. That's not what I'm doing. Like, I'm introducing myself to humanity in strength, in power, and I'm going to let people know I'm God, and, and you need to worship me because everything surrounds us. That, in my mind, is how I would introduce myself to mankind. But after years of silence, years of brokenness, years of sin, years of just struggle and travail, God introduces himself to his people. As it tells us in this particular teaching, he emptied himself. and He became a baby. He was born in a feed trough. He was a carpenter. He didn't choose some huge career. He didn't choose not to even work. He chose to use a working man's profession. I hear it all the time. You know, Jesse, how hard it is for me to work in construction? Yep, I know it's difficult. You know who understands? Jesus, because he did it. And he did it well. Right? He wasn't, he wasn't a lawyer. He wasn't a doctor. He didn't have a PhD. He finds himself still teaching some of the greatest men in the world. And then, and then he dies on the cross for his people. Now, we've talked about this before. Sometimes we don't visit it enough, but when Jesus was hung on the cross, the whole process of Roman crucifixion was to remove humanity from the person who was on the cross. It was literally, literally the crosses were placed on a place where people were constantly traveling and they could see. You see that guy? He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a rapist. He's a child molester. He's less than human. He deserves to be there. And as humanity walked by Jesus basically looking at him as less than human. The Bible tells us he did it with the joy set before him, that, that on that cross as he was dying, that death that would make him less human, he knew that that death would make you more human if you believed in faith upon him. And then he's buried in a grave, left to be forgotten, hopefully. And then we know the rest, that he defeated death. 
You see, Jesus says you want healthy community, you want to be made right with God, you want to be righteous and be made by faith, then the first thing you have to do is you need to empty the self of self and fill the self with Christ. Salvation is, by the way, of great consequence. It says, you know what, if you want to have humility, if you want the church to thrive, then it must have one mind in unity. Right? And, and this, again, this is why so many pastors are leaving and quitting. They can't figure out how do we build unity? How do we build a one-mindedness? How do we build a like-mindedness? And the answer, the answer, in all honesty, is to completely divert from all of the political conversation and all of the weird Fox News and CNN News and all of the stuff you're seeing on your social media feeds is to cut through all of that nonsense, all of those arguments. It's to just drop all of it and focus on the reality that the one thing that unifies us is the fact that we're all sinners and we're all desperate, desperately need in, in regards to saving grace. That allows us to love people who are not like us. And it's my job, and that's why I've confessed my failure. It's my job, in part, to equip you as the body to love people who are radically different than you. And we need to be reminded of that because we can become prideful and arrogant. And I think that's part and part why this message is so appropriate. We could be boasting. Look at what's happening in our church. Look at how many people are coming. Look at what a great, amazing job that we're doing. Look at that we have a parking issue. Look at these things. No, like, those are great. That's awesome. But that's all a byproduct of humbling ourselves before Jesus and saying, we need you above anything else. And God forgive us as a church. God forgive us as a group of people if we've ever been prideful about what we're doing and how we're doing it, that we're somehow doing it better than anybody else. Anything that we have in life is always a byproduct of grace. If you're single, you're single because God is gracious to you. If you're married, you're married because God is gracious to you. If you've not been able to have kids, it's because he's been gracious to you. I know you like, that doesn't make any sense. Trust me, it's there. It doesn't make sense now. Well, when you're in heaven, if you've got one kid, he's gracious. If you've got four, you need more of God's grace. I'm telling you right now, I've got four. Lots of grace needed. Like bundlefuls and bundlefuls of grace. Right? If you've had past addictions, you need grace. If you've had PTSD, you need grace. Right? If you've had trauma, you've got psychological issues, you're depressed, you're broken, you're confused, you're filled with anxiety, you've had a huge problem with substance abuse in the last year, welcome to the one place that unifies us under all things. I need God's grace. I don't need more of what the culture is giving me. I need more of what Jesus will give me, and I need to humble myself before the Lord. And I need to empty myself, and I need to live for others, and I need to live for God. Right To live for yourself is to destroy the self. And to live for others and to live for God is to be the human that God has always created you to be. And that, my friends, will take an attitude of service as Jesus has taken upon himself and it will call upon us who are called by faith to live, to live in radical obedience to God. Like, to be obedient. I wish I, wish I would have kept it in the first I wish I had it in the first service, and I wish I had it in this service. Somebody sent me a really incredible meme, and it said, it was like a statement of like, <clears throat> people who say they don't need the church. And the meme was a big flock of sheep, like over off into the corner in a big group, and one desperate sheep running for its life with a jaguar chasing it. 
But the reality is, is that God has created you and I to be in community, to be inside a congregation and a church, to be a part of a family, to keep one another spiritually safe. Because as you exit this place without that community, without being part of a body, it's all too easy for the enemy to suck you into individualistic thinking. Now, I told you, regards to this radical submission, and we'll close here in just a moment, being radically obedient to the word. A lot of people, a lot of people love the fact that Jesus provided miracles. A lot of people loved his blessings. A lot of people loved the bread he provided. A lot of people loved the works he committed. But more than those who liked all those things, most of those individuals hated his words. Hated them. It's a reminder for us not to love Jesus' works more than his word. And his word calls us to being obedient to him because it will fulfill our joy. So we're in Utah, and the farm, like I said, they've got 2,000 acres, and they have two great Pyrenees dogs. Are you familiar with these dogs? Again, I wish I would have put a picture for you. First of all, you've seen a polar bear, right? That's a great Pyrenees, and I am not kidding. These things are massive, and they're large, and they just had puppies when we went down there. My wife and I have been looking for the right puppy. You know, probably a golden retriever will work well for our family with four kids. But we've been wanting to get a puppy, and price has been a hindrance, and finding the right dog has been a hindrance, so we just haven't pulled the trigger. It's also because we really are on the fence about do we need another child to take care of, because I'm pretty sure a puppy and our four kids are about equal. And um, <clears throat> so we're down there, and we were thinking about maybe taking one home, and realized, first of all, they are hairy. Like, they are very, they got two thick coats. They're just big, massive, hairy dogs. And uh, they're farm dogs, and they're built for the farm. So first of all, they're nocturnal. So they, they, they bark all night long. But they're kind of lazy. So they're really good at defending, but they're kind of lazy, which makes them perfect. Because, because what happens is, is a coyote comes up to the property line, and then the dog only runs 15 feet, and the coyote's like, I don't want to mess with that, and he runs away. And then the Pyrenees is so tired, he takes a nap until the next coyote comes. Right, so they're really docile. There's some great perfection there. But nonetheless, these dogs are obedient, and they're caring. In fact, uh, one of the girls, a uh, 13-year-old, 13-year-old girl, goes bailing off way down. Like you, on their property, you stand in Utah, and you can see all the way into the Colorado border, just forever away. And, and all of a sudden, she takes off, and then there goes this Pyrenees and goes running after this 13-year-old girl. There's no chance of catching her, but he's got to guard her. And now, mind you, remember, this dog doesn't want to run more than 15 feet. But it does until you just see this teeny little snowball, right? Literally, this dog's two-plus miles out of sight. 20 minutes goes by, quad. Here comes the quad. Where's the dog? Not there. Right? Another 20 minutes, here comes the dog. I protected her, right? You can see it in his eyes. Job well done. I need to do anything. And here's why I mentioned this picture for you. Because um, one author says, you know, a Christian, a Christian should be a lot like that Pyrenees. A Christian should be a lot like that sheepdog. When the shepherd or the farmhand wants him to do something, that dog lies down at his feet and he looks intently into the shepherd's eyes or his master's eyes and he listens without budging until he's understood the mind of his master. Then once he understands the mind of his master, he jumps to his feet and he runs to go and do it. It's the picture of Christianity. I'm humbly going to submit myself under the authority and the mighty hand of God. 
I'm not going to elevate myself any longer. I'm going to submit myself. But then the author says this, the third characteristic, which is not less important, at no moment does the dog ever stop wagging his tail. That's one thing to submit to the Lord and do what he says. It's another thing to submit to the Lord and do what he says and to do it with joy because he's the good master who emptied himself on our behalf to fill us not with ourself and our pride, but to fill us with himself, that we would be the people of God and the healthy community he wants us to be. Part of what we need more than ever is a unified spirit in our church, a unified spirit amongst ourselves, not that we would all be alike in every thought, in every pattern, or in every gifting, but that we would be like-minded, that we're all desperate for the saving grace of Jesus, and we all have decided to submit ourselves to the God above who created us just for that purpose. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll partake in communion together? I'll sing a couple more songs. Um, So, some of you, this is what's so incredible about this season, some of you don't know that we don't, this is not the normal way in which we participate in communion. You've, you, you've never seen it any other way, but, the, you know, and we did this in part to kind of, um, to do our part to help mitigate the spread of COVID because we normally pass the plate, and uh, we intended to pass the plate this week, and we intend to introduce it again, but we kind of ran into some hiccups this morning trying to find all of our stuff that we normally use communion with, so... We had to break these out at the last minute. But if you're at home and you're about to participate with us, some of you at home have the opportunity to use wine or bread or, or matzah or, or maybe you don't have any of those things and you need to use something else, Sprite or whatever. It really doesn't matter what you use. Now, in part, we want it to be something that is like bread and something that is red in its color because it, it helps us remember. But it's the, it's the idea of it. So the conversation I've been having with a lot of people now recently is, is several of you have just recently kind of given your faith to Jesus. So we've been talking about what are the next radical steps of obedience, humble obedience to being saved. And the Bible would say communion is part of that, which is what we're doing. It's a remembrance. It's a call to remember. God literally is putting something in our hands that we can touch and feel and know, like this is the body, this is his blood, and this helps us remember the sacrifice that he's made. And then baptism is the other one. So when we go outside, we're hoping to pull out the baptismal trough out there and and get several of you baptized, those of you who are willing to do the next commandment, which is to stand before your family and to confess in faith that you believe in the work of Jesus, that you were buried with Christ, that's in the water, raised with Christ, made a new creation, and washed clean by his blood. And so together, family, we have the opportunity, we get the great privilege to hold within our hands something that reminds us that Jesus truly emptied himself, that his body was broken on our behalf, that he took the punishment and the wrath that we deserve so that we could taste his grace. Jesus, we thank you that you've done what we cannot do. We pray that as we partake, we would recognize the great unity we share with you, and that would spur us to right living, righteous living in the rest of the week. We trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Likewise, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, and that blood must be perfect. And the cup in which you hold reminds us of the Son who died on our behalf, but that his blood, his perfect blood, was shed so that our imperfect blood would not have to be shed. Lord, we thank you that you've covered us by the blood of the Lamb and that you've passed over our sin. In Jesus' name. So as we sing, I think um, singing is an act of humility, more so for some of us than others, huh? But it is, it's an act of humility. It's calling on the Lord. So Brad's got a couple songs for us to respond in that gives us an opportunity to express our humility to the Lord, which, right, the first way to humility is to admit that you were proud and you were arrogant and that you've made yourself in many ways your own God. You've been in some ways a functional atheist. And that you're just thankful for the gentle reminder from the Lord and from the Word to empty yourself and allow Him to fill you. Let's sing. <clears throat>